Okay. Welcome back, folks, to another exciting episode of Quarter Rest with Joe Diaco. That's me, your host, your friend, your man. This week, I interviewed the Honey Badgers, a folk duo from Newark, Delaware. That's Joe Biden country for you. We talked about many things. Music. Uh, more mu- um, st- music-related... Um, well, just listen and you'll see for yourself. All right. We're here in the studio with the Honey Badgers. Hi, guys. How are you doing? Hello, hello. Hello. Doing great. Could you please introduce yourselves? Sure. So we are a duo called the Honey Badgers. My name is Aaron Magnan. I am Michael Natron. I am the other half of the duo. We are from Newark, Delaware, and we play folk music together. Yeah. And you're going to be playing some folk music for us today. Is that not correct? That is correct. If all goes according to plan. How did this band form? Give us a little history lesson. Okay. So I'm going to have to dive deep into my brain really quick. Um, bad at remembering things, but I will try my best. I know the feeling. <laughs> uh, so Michael and I were sort of acquainted with each other in college. We were sort of running in the same circles and we were both doing musical things. We were not doing the same musical things, but we were both doing music. Do you want to say what you were doing? Uh, sure. Yeah. I had a like folk rock band with some college guy friends and as they all started graduating and, go, and moving away and going to grad school, it, the band sort of fell apart. So I asked Aaron to step in and play some fiddle with me for some songs. Yeah. And at that point, I was a like classical music major. So I was like singing in operas and acapella groups and uh, not really doing much original music. So I was a little intimidated when Michael asked me to play. Uh, I had not picked up the violin for many years, <laughs> but I did it because he was cool and kind of cute. <laughs> so I did it. And then the Honey Badgers were born. <laughs> yeah, this is a song from our album called Meet Me. And it's a song about traveling and finding your place in the world and just learning about yourself and about the world. Yeah. Got a compass and a map Follow the stream, create a path On my way back home to you Oh, many days have passed Strive to perfect my craft On my way back home to you Storms I've weathered, bridges I've burned Traveling Across the land Money I've had Riches I've lost It makes you understand You gotta pick your battles Wisely, young man Bridges I've burned, traveling across the land. Money I've had, riches I've lost, it makes you understand. You gotta pick your battles wisely, young man. Mm-hmm. 
Hills I've weathered, bridges I've burned, traveling across the land. Plenty I've had, riches I've lost, it makes you understand. You gotta pick your battles wisely, young man. After the years fade away, oh, we'll be old and gray. Still, I'll be surely loving you. Do you promise me you'll stay through all adversity? Still, I'll be surely loving you. Storms I've weathered, bridges I've burned, traveling. Across the land, money I've had, riches I've lost, it makes you understand. You gotta pick your battles wisely, young man. Storms I've weathered, bridges I've burned, traveling across the land. Money I've had, riches I've lost, it makes you understand. You gotta pick your battles wisely. You gotta pick your battles wisely, young man. You gotta pick your battles wisely, young man. You gotta pick your battles wisely, young man. So Aaron, you were you obviously played the violin. Were you most were you mostly uh, trained and experienced with classical violin, or had you done folk fiddle as well? I was I would say classical, but honestly, I don't even know that I would call myself like trained in anything. I just was a kid who took violin lessons and played in like a kid orchestra for a little while. Um, so very little experience in the folk tradition or any sort of traditional violin music. Um, so yeah, it was, a, it was a world change for me. So you were more trained with vocals. I take yes. It. Yeah. And uh, what school were you guys attending? Uh, we were both at the university of Delaware. Cool. Um, and Aaron, you said you were a music major. Michael, what were you studying? I studied electrical engineering. I like the way you say that, electrical engineering. <laughs> and what was your goal as uh, to become an electrical engineer, I suppose? What 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 got you interested in that? That's a great question. Uh, I think just as I grew up, I was really interested in technology and taking things apart and fixing things and rewiring things. So I was always really interested in math and science, and it seemed like a lucrative career. So I pursued it for a while and achieved that career. And then that leads us to where we are today, where we quit our jobs a little over a year ago and pursued music full time. As a musician, do, do you find that there is anything that you um, anything that you draw upon that sort of has relevance to your old career? Like, in other words, does that education, that training, that experience as an electrical engineer I know this may seem like a stretch, but but are there any skills that you can draw on in a career as a musician? Yeah, definitely. I think the biggest thing right now with all the uh, COVID shutdowns happening is that we've been <clears throat> live streaming a ton. So we have all of that technology in place and wiring up all the gear and live streams and things. Um, but in addition to that, just the experience in the engineering world and the business world plays a lot of part in how we operate our business now and just dealing with spreadsheets and emails all day and <laughs> that kind of thing. And then, of course, just like wiring up our pedal boards and stuff, wiring things, running cables. Yeah. I don't know. Lots of, lots of small things that I know how to do just from knowing the theory behind them. I, I have a, an understanding of what is going on inside of technology. 
or you're at least willing to try things, even yeah. if you don't know exactly what's going on. Yep. Always, yeah, Michael's the king learning. of spreadsheets. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you met in college and you formed a duo. Well, initially it sounds like it was just a one-off collaboration. So mm-hmm. so how could you describe the process of going from, you know, like occasional collaborators to being a band, a band that is so committed to one another that you, you know, <laughs> quit your jobs and also got married. Yes. Um, how did that happen? <laughs> so I don't know that it was a very conscious decision. Um, we, the first time we played together in public, it was for a little local competition and we ended up moving on to the next uh, level of that competition. So I guess that sort of put us out there in the world. And then we started to sort of get requests to play places. So I think that definitely pushed us towards playing together in a more permanent way. Uh, But the other thing is that not to get too sappy, but we were definitely starting to like each other a lot. (laughs) So um, we were just sort of like tied together that way. And it, it, it just sort of happened naturally that we would have continued to play music together. It was really fun. So we kept doing it. (laughs) So you guys are now like an actual couple, like you're married. Do you find that that enhances the musical process or the process of collaborating together musically? Or does that ever make it fraught with difficulties? You you know, you you have these examples from music history, like, uh, you know, Lindsey Buckingham and and Stevie Nicks, where like, they're they're a couple and they do music together and then they end up hating each other and blah, 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 blah. Um, Could you comment on how... um, kind of working together creatively and also being a couple, how that works. So being a married couple who also plays music together, uh, there are really high highs and then there are some low lows. There's good and bad. Um, the, the good parts are that being creative with someone who you feel very free around, um, is freeing. <laughs> uh, there's no like being self-conscious about what you're creating. You know, you, we know each other as well as people can know each other. So that's really right. nice. It makes sense. Yeah. Um, do you have any, any, any good stuff? Let's do a good stuff first. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's amazing that we you got to can... use the sandwich technique. You start with a good, then you <laughs> yeah. do a negative and you end with another good. That way everyone <laughs> this feels guy's good married. <laughs> Yep. This guy yeah. knows. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's amazing that we get to like work together constantly. And we um, sometimes bands have trouble with learning new music or rehearsing new music because they're all coming from separate locations and have to work their schedules together. Our schedules are the same. And so we're able to rehearse and write together whenever we want to. Um, but like the sandwich, like you said, the uh, <laughs> the bad part of that is that we have to make sure that we like focus and schedule our own time apart as well, just so that we don't drive each other crazy. Um, especially when we're on tour living in a van, it gets intense, but yeah. it's, it's wonderful. And I wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't rather be doing anything else. <laughs> but we, we've sort of come up with ways to, uh, like systems, I guess you could say, to make sure that things stay good. Uh, we, we each have a sign on our respective like workspace doors to say, like the sign is turned one way, you can come in whenever you want. And if the sign is turned the other way, I need some alone time. Leave me alone. Please don't come in. <laughs> That's a good system. <laughs> yeah, it's great. It works for us because otherwise we're just sort of constantly trampling on each other's space and alone time because there's always something to talk about when you're in a band together. <laughs> yeah, and we're working constantly and receiving emails 24-7. So it's yeah. it's hard to like not talk about business stuff at 10 p.m. sometimes. Yes. Yeah. Let's talk about the business side of things. What what challenges do you guys uh, face from a business perspective? And, and what are some of your strategies for overcoming those challenges? Great questions. Mm. Um, I, I think for us, when we decided to go full time, it was a lot of saving and a lot of budgeting and a lot of figuring out like how many gigs a month we needed to be playing and focusing on what type of gigs we wanted to be booking and what cities we wanted to be in. So all last spring and summer, we were touring throughout the East Coast and even like all the way out to Austin and back. Um, I, I think a lot of it 
to be quite honest, is just focusing on gigs that get us money to make a living, which is tough sometimes. But we also focus on the creativity side of it and releasing music that we are proud of and happy with and focusing on local the local scene here and having local shows that we can be proud of where we can play all original music. I don't know. I didn't fully answer the question, but <laughs> it's it's definitely a balance between being creative and releasing the music we want to and playing three or four hour gigs at bars and breweries. Yeah, that's what I was going to say as well. I, I don't know that it's necessarily like, necessarily like a business problem, but just the idea of having a business where your sole goal can't be making profit like most businesses. <laughs> like our goal has to be are we staying true to our creative selves and are we, you know, moving forward in a way that we can be proud of and are we making a living? <laughs> so it's that balance is, is really tough, like Michael said, but we're, we try to hit it. <laughs> How much stra- like business strategy do you need to to use in order to make things work? One thing. So so maybe this will help help you uh think through this question, but I've, I've talked to a lot of people on this podcast who have said similar things, which is like, when I was getting started in music, I would take any gig I could get, because I, or not just any gig I could get, but I would like, I would play anywhere. I would do anything. And looking back on it now, I'm like, man, I should have been more selective. I should have been more strategic. I should have um, thought a little bit more about the business side of things. This is like a common recurring theme with a lot of people is like, okay, when you're young, you just want to play. It's like exciting. It's fun. Uh, and, you know, you just got that hankering to get out there and, and, and do your stuff. But sometimes that that's not always the smartest approach. Do you guys feel like you've sort of come to a point where you can think strategically, think long-term and not be just kind of like taking everything gig by gig, if that makes sense? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, Yeah, so I think we are at a good point uh, with respect to strategy, but really the strategy for being a musician is going to be different for every single musician, I think, because... That's certainly true. (laughs) it really just depends on what are your goals. I mean, for some people, the goal is just to make a living doing something that they enjoy, and that's totally fine. And then for some people, the goal isn't to do with money at all. It's to do with having people hear your music. So, I mean, what's important to us is like constantly revisiting where are we at with our goals and do we need to change our goals and do we need to change the strategy to get to those goals? Right. Yeah. I agree with all of that. I think at the end of the year, we, we tend to look back and see where a lot of our income came from and you can start to get worried if you see a lot of your income coming from one or two or three different restaurants or venues. Um, you have to make sure you diversify that. Like we love playing the same places over and over again, but a lot of the strategy that we have is diversifying where we're playing and making sure we're getting in front of fresh eyes when we can and getting in front of our familiar fans when we can. Um, Mm -hmm. And then, I I don't know, I I see a lot of artists who, like you were saying, they don't take it seriously as a business at first. They don't have their website set up. They don't have merch to make money on. Um, Yeah, you, you definitely have to think it through a lot. And we did a lot of that planning when we went full time. Yeah. And we still work on it. I mean, it's, it is weird to think of your music as a business. I don't think it'll ever not be weird. (laughs) So we're always having to check in with ourselves and yeah, make sure we're on the right track business wise and music wise. (laughs) Yeah. A lot of it is about establishing relationships and like, even when people move between breweries or restaurants and things, we still have those relationships and we can still get booked with them or still play house shows with them. So yeah, it's a lot of Lots of different strategies. And like Aaron was saying, it's it's different for every band that we meet. Do you have uh, a couple of venues that you particularly like to play? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like most artists do. Most musicians do. They have, you know, a couple favorite places. I don't know if we're allowed to say them. I mean, of course we're allowed, but <laughs> I would feel weird, like, picking favorites. I will say wineries are, like top of the list for me we've i don't think i've ever had a bad experience playing at a winery (laughs) so what is it about the winery experience that makes it different from like a bar well usually people are less drunk so that's nice 
uh, if only by a little bit. <laughs> and um, it's generally outside, which is lovely. And what's interesting about the like an audience at a winery is it is less pressure for us than playing, say, like a just music venue. You know, we're not responsible for filling that room, which can be a little stressful. Um, but it's not like a bar where people are like not listening to you at all. Like people are relaxing with their glass of wine. Usually they do want to listen to you and it's really nice. <laughs> and sometimes we get free wine. So bonus. Yeah. <laughs> do you have any favorites, Michael? Yeah. I mean, a lot of the places that we play on the road are really unique and have been really enjoyable. Like, like Aaron was saying, some of the wineries that we've played at. Um, we played at one place in Asheville, North Carolina. It was a glass blowing, like an active glass blowing forge. And they oh, put, wow. yeah, they put us right next to it while they were like blowing glass. It was mm-hmm. really cool. Um, it so, was so amazing. Yeah. I like unique places like that. I like places where we can like hang out with the, the workers there afterwards. And like, like it was one of the wineries we played at last fall. We got to harvest the grapes with them the next morning. Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool. So, oh, that's really cool. Yeah, I, I like just meeting new people and exploring new areas of the country. Um, we have our favorite local venues too, but unfortunately with COVID, some of them are closing down now. So yep. it's it's really going to be tough for the music industry in the upcoming years. This episode is sponsored by Freshbox, the ultimate fresh food delivery service. Tired of making the same old spaghetti, meatloaf, and baked potato night after night? I've been there. But then I discovered Freshbox, and making meals has never been the same. Let me give you a sense of what I'm talking about. Last night, I had fennel mango taquitos. Fennel mango taquitos. How does that sound to you? And here's the thing. I'm no culinary genius. I'm just a Freshbox subscriber. Freshbox recipes are dreamed up by top Michelin star rated chefs, and ingredients are hand selected and sent to your door. So how does it work? Well, first you need to download and install the Freshbox app and indicate all your food preferences, allergies, and so on. Gluten-free? Vegan? Freshbox has you covered. Now, obtain a cardboard box about yay large and place it near the entrance to your home. This will be your Freshbox Freshbox and all deliveries will be placed inside the box. It's important that you use the same box week after week so that the delivery personnel can recognize that box as being your fresh box. And that's it! Once a week, your ingredients will be delivered and placed in the box where they'll be waiting for you when you get home from work. Oh, and I haven't even told you the best part. Freshbox's commitment to sustainability means that they use no packaging of any kind in their deliveries. Okay, I've got this week's Freshbox right here. What's inside? Carrots? Uh, spinach, rhubarb, wow. Looks like I'm making a pie this week, can't wait. Okay, we got beef, we got some pork. Uh, Wow, you can really tell this company is committed to the environment because they don't even wrap the meat in paper. Okay, that looks like asparagus, I think. It's a bit hard to tell because it's covered in beef blood. Uh, uh, Asparagus or green beans? Kind of like a greenish reddish. Oh, damn! A whole octopus. I guess that's for sushi? I'm not sure. And uh, okay, what's underneath the octopus? Strawberries. I love those. Oh no, wait, no, those are cherry tomatoes. <laughs> they just look like strawberries on account of the octopus slime. Knock, knock. Who's there? Fresh box. Fresh box, who? Fresh box wants to eat you. Fresh box wants to eat you. This is a song called Being Here. That's the working title. Um, We wrote this in sort of a a rough period in our lives. A couple just unfortunate things happened all at once. And it was it was it was tough going for a little while. Um, And I I kept having this fear that like, you know, that old saying, like the bad things come in threes. And I was like, what the heck else is going to happen? Like, what are we waiting for here? Um, So I decided to sort of channel that that energy or harness it and turn it into something a little happier than than that thought, than that fear. So it's been a good one for these COVID times as well. (laughs) 
Wake up from a dream of you. Tell me what to do without you in my life. Stumble forward blindly, the sun above still shining. Doesn't seem right, but it's true. If the bad things come in threes, then what are we waiting for? The other shoe to drop with a deafening echo to the floor. When will it get better? Will it all get better? Or do we just happiness together I never knew how much it cost to find out that I lost the best things in my life. So now I've taken on such debt, but still there's space inside my head to feel the joy I'm surrounded by. Cause the bad things come in threes But there's good things waiting for you Every day you wake and Step outside your door When will it get better? Will it all get better? Or do we just together yes it will get better I promise it will get better if we just surrender and try to find happiness being here being here together Being here together You talked about diversifying, you know, so you guys are in Delaware. It's a small state, first state, but it's a small state. Is it difficult to diversify the venues you play in when you live in a small state? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, we're really lucky to have a great music community here, but there is a limit to the venues around here. Um, but luckily, Delaware is situated right in the middle of a bunch of cities, um, Baltimore, Philadelphia, New York City, uh, D.C. D.C., yeah. That's I think that's all one. the big ones, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean... Big enough. Right. Like, we're, we're able to get to different venues. Um, I think it was Wayne's World 1 or 2 where... Uh, where, you know, he's like standing in front of a green screen and there's all these different places. And then when he gets to Delaware, he's like, hey, guys, I'm in Delaware. And he has nothing to say about it because it's. Yep. Um, 
Do you, do you find that characterization is accurate? That kind of uh, characterization of Delaware as being boring or slow or nothing going on. I would, I, I would, I would hope you guys have a, a little bit more positive view of Delaware than that. Yeah, I mean, we're still here and... <laughs> we're here so like, like the Aaron, party's here <laughs> no but like Aaron was saying it is a nice central location we can get anywhere and the living is cheap um, and it gives us I, I think there's plenty to do there's lots of trails and parks and activities with friends um, Delaware is beautiful yeah Delaware grows on you like yeah when I was in high school I felt the way Wayne's World feels about Delaware. I was, why am I here? I want to get out. There's nothing going on here. Um, but there is stuff going on in Delaware. It's just hyper local and you have to know where to look. Um, but yeah, there's the, there's beaches in the, we only have three counties, okay? So. <laughs> now, first of all, let me let you in on a little secret. All teenagers think that the town they live in is terrible and they need to get out and there's nothing going on there. I'm sure teenagers in Manhattan think, oh, I hope I someday get out of this town. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's just a universal thing is like that that Bruce Springsteen song kind of, uh, you know, desire to get away from your hometown, man. And then you grow up and a lot of the time realize that, oh, you know, where, I'm, where I live is not so bad. I think we should play a song from your record. What is the name of the record that you guys put out? So our full-length album is called Meet Me. Uh, we released it last March of 2019. So it's a little over a year. All right. So we are going to listen to a song from the album Meet Me by the Honey Badgers. The song is called Halfway Between. Enjoy.
I'm not going to lie to you. I chose the song partially because of the steel guitar. I just, I love that sound. It sounds cool. I want one. Yes, we think it sounds cool too. Yeah, it's really cool to watch steel guitarists play. And the guy who played on our record, he played the steel guitar and he, like the uh, slide guitar and pedal steel. He played all sorts of things. Yeah. So on this song, is it a lap steel guitar or a pedal steel? Pretty sure on this track, there is dobro and pedal steel. Yeah. And yeah. same guy? Same yep. person yes, playing both? Yes. Let's talk about this song. What is this song about? Sure. So Halfway Between was sort of a letting loose of a bunch of feelings in uh, my my head. <laughs> uh, I think I was approaching 30 years old when I wrote this song and I was feeling very caught between being a kid, not really knowing what I was supposed to be doing with my life uh, and, you know, the expectation of being an adult when you are around 30 years old. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I just, I was like, where do I belong? What is this? I don't feel like an adult, but I guess I should be one. And so I wrote this song about not quite knowing where you belong. (laughs) (laughs) Let's talk about your songwriting process. Do you both write for the Honey Badgers? Yes. Is okay. Is there a collaborative process that takes place? In other words, does one person write the song and that's it? Or does one person write the song and then you kind of workshop it together, hone it, refine it, and uh and put the the honey badger honey stamp of approval on the thing? <laughs> I would say it's it's a mixture of both, but leaning towards the second one where we will like individually write the majority of a song or at least like a couple verses and a chorus and then bring it to the other one and finish it together. So it's a mixture. It depends on the song, of course, but mm-hmm. yeah, we've, we've tried to do like a pure co-writing situation before, but we just write really differently. And so we tend to butt heads when we do that. So like Michael said, now we just bring each other, you know, the bones of a song and help each other finish. You said that you write differently. Could you elaborate on that a little bit? What <laughs> what characterizes the way you write Aaron versus the way you write Michael? <laughs> I would say the biggest difference in our writing style is that I really like to lay out a whole story or if not a story, I like there to be like a point behind the song. Like if you ask me what a song is about, I will have an answer for you. And Michael tends to write more ethereally, more... Yeah. In general, I would say my writing's a little bit more like abstract. It doesn't yeah. necessarily have a story, unless I set out to write a story song. But but it's cool. Like You capture feelings. And I think because you don't uh, kind of... Hold on. Sorry. I'm trying to think of a word. Um because you don't tie yourself down to a particular storyline or like point of a song, you're able to capture like multiple feelings or multiple experiences into one song, which is cool. Like I admire that. I I can't do it, but I admire it. <laughs> Thanks. So Michael's writing is a bit, a bit less literal, maybe? Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. When you write songs collaboratively, do you try to kind of stick with the approach of the person who started writing the song or do you kind of both bring your your respective um, preference or predilection to the song? I would say in general, once the song is started by someone, it stays with that voice. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I can't think of any that have really like shifted voices mid-song or anything like that. I don't know. I... We have a couple songs where it's like a back and forth between a male and female part in like each line of the verses are back and forth. And I I like to write those. And I think those are more of a shared voice between the two of us. All right. We're going to play another song off the record. This one is called Driving in a Dream. It's the last track off the record. Let's give it a listen.
drifting heavy on the freeway. The moon floats bright behind me. One single firework lights the whole Montana sky. I've been. All right, this song is quite a bit different than the first one. Who wrote this tune? Uh, so that was me again. Okay, interesting. Um, it's a bit more ethereal, musically speaking. Mm-hmm. Yes. Could you speak to that? Sure. So th- it's funny because I would say Halfway Between and Driving in a Dream are probably the polar opposites of each other on this CD. Like, that's... Yeah, I would agree. <laughs> and that's why I chose them. I love it. <laughs> so Driving in a Dream was born out of our 2017 road trip. We we drove from the East Coast to the West Coast, uh, up the West Coast and back to the East Coast. <laughs> um, and that's actually what a lot of songs on this album are kind of based on off of but driving in a dream in particular was born out of a feeling of driving through the night across you know kind of ever-changing landscapes um often way 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 too tired to be reasonably driving (laughs) uh but there was a really really cool feeling that I wanted to capture which was just the feeling of being utterly alone um, 
especially in states like Montana, Wyoming, Idaho, where you're driving and like you won't see another car for an hour and it's the middle of the the night um, and all you can see are like elk on the side of the road and the moon and sometimes a stray firework. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) but elk the moon, explosives, (laughs) you know, typical rural stuff. (laughs) But I don't know. I I don't know that I can capture that feeling with words, which is why I tried to capture it with the the music because it was just such a cool experience. Um, And I wanted to remember it forever. (laughs) Yeah. And it was one of the most fun tracks on the album to produce too. We added a bunch of crazy effects and delays and instruments. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like a stylistically almost a bit of a departure from the rest of the record. Was it was this because you were trying to capture that dream state feeling in the music? So, yes, but also um I think the reason this song sounds so different is partly an accident. <laughs> um I am not a great guitar player, but I wanted to do something like in the finger picking realm I not being very good I just sort of did like the same finger picking pattern over and over and over again (laughs) and I think when I was writing this song I was doing that first and then I started sort of writing the driving in a dream lyrics um based on that that feeling of driving in the night so like it's kind of a mistake because I don't think we would have written the guitar part like that intentionally if I could actually play well (laughs) um yeah but then once that once that was written like that it just sort of made sense to have everything be sort of droney and ethereal like you said so we tried our best to make it that way (laughs) yeah what drew you guys to folk music great question uh I I grew up with my parents' music, lots of uh, the Beatles, Simon and Garfunkel, Jim Croce, that type of stuff. So it just always spoke to me to to have the, the song and the, the lyrics come first and just the simplicity of folk music, even to today, still just speaks to me. It just makes sense. It's real music made by real people mm-hmm. and we love listening to it and we love playing it. Yeah, it's, it's very accessible. Um... Yeah. <laughs> so you like the, the kind of common man or common woman aspect of folk music? I think that attracts a lot of people. Yeah, it's I mean it's it's really good to be able to hear yourself in a song or even not even yourself but like hear a human in a song. Um right. to hear their their feelings and their plight or their joy or whatever they're trying to express. Um it's cool to be able to sort of like place yourself in that and within a folk song. Are you attracted to those instruments as well? Do you guys just like the sound of acoustic instruments? Yeah, definitely. Um, we play amplified like electric guitar on some of the tracks on the album, but I, I just think that walking into a room and just being able to play a gig with an acoustic guitar in your voice is just like the essence of songwriting and performing and, it's it's easy to do poorly and it's difficult to do well and we try to lean towards the doing it well <laughs> end of things but it's just i i think that like really super produced radio pop music is barely even musical it's all oh, auto tuned and dang. produced it's fun to listen to yeah but it's yeah. it's not shot fire <laughs> It's not take. (laughs) (laughs) You millennial. Yeah. It's it's not something that I would enjoy ever making, and I don't think it's very real. Yeah, I think it it has its place for sure. Um, But that's not what makes me, like, feel my feelings. I kind of feel the same way. I I, I recently released an interview. I'm going to plug my own podcast here on the podcast. (laughs) This is a meta plug here. But I recently released an interview with uh, Brad Roberts from the band Crash Test Dummies. And uh, one of the things he, he said about his own music and about music in general is that he really thinks like a song that can stand on its own 
with just a voice and accompaniment, so like guitar and voice or piano and voice, that there's something really special about that as opposed to something that really needs to be dressed up with mm-hmm. a lot of arrangement behind it. Like there's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. But if a song stands on its own when it's very stripped down and simple, that's when you really know you have a song. Yeah. That, yeah. that, that will stand the test of time. Exactly. Yeah, it's powerful. That's, yeah, that that's that's a great point. <laughs> you You have to really hone your songwriting skills if you're only going to use a guitar in your voice because it can get boring really quickly. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Especially if you're not a virtuoso player, which most people aren't and which I don't think you need to be to make great music. Right. So obviously a virtuoso can make a, you know, a, a mouth harp sound really cool um, <laughs> by you know, doing 30 second note mouth harp trills. I don't know what a mouth harp is. Okay. <laughs> but bad example, but like, you know, to be able to write a song that somebody who isn't a virtuoso can pick up an instrument, maybe learn a few chords, learn the song and be able to sit around the campfire and impress the cute girl or cute boy or whatever who, who they're interested in. That that's take, that takes some talent. Yeah. Which is why people always rag on songs like uh, Wonderwall. <laughs> <laughs> and I get it. But at the same time, there's something to be said for a song like that or even about that song. There's something to be said for the simplicity and the the just kind of mass appeal. And it's simple. Anybody yeah. can learn it. That's kind of cool. There's beauty in that. Yep. It has endured. Hail Wonderwall. <laughs> I tell you, all the people who are, you know, crapping on Wonderwall, that's because they didn't write Wonderwall. Yes, totally. And the guys who write Wonderwalls are huge jerks. I mean, the guys from Oasis seem like a bunch of absolute... Oh, my God, really? Wait, Obnoxious. What? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. The the Gallagher brothers. I tried watching the documentary on Netflix, and it's like four <laughs> hours long, and I couldn't get through more than an hour of it. <laughs> Tips. Even when I'm by myself, I take 
I lose my way, will you be there to get through? Oh, I'm so scared of getting lost. I'm so scared of getting blind. If I get too ever play coffee shops when i think folk i think coffee shops yeah there are some of the worst venues because oh, of the shots <laughs> fired because of the blenders oh my god <laughs> you're right you're right yeah see back in the 60s when dylan and all those people were playing i, I don't think they had blenders right yeah <laughs> loud cappuccino machines blenders. Yeah. yeah it's, it's constant smoothie i don't know making. there there are some definitely great coffee coffee shops that we've played in some of them the one that comes to mind burlap and bean just outside of philadelphia they shut off all their machines during the music and then that's like, what you got to do right yeah during the intermission they'll make everybody's drinks and then shut them off again so yeah that's we've, the way to do it. we've had great experiences at coffee shops yeah but we've also had experiences where like there's not that much money to spare so they kind of just want you to play in a corner and play for tips and the people there are just trying to study and drink their coffee so like they're like why are you making noise right now so <laughs> it really just depends on the coffee shop yeah i guess the the classic era of folk coffee shops is behind us what you're talking about still exists but it would be like called a, a in air quotes coffee shop like right. it's its point is to be a music venue mm-hmm. but they kind of have that coffee shop vibe mm-hmm you know what I mean? <laughs> like they probably sell coffee. <laughs> right, right. But people aren't going there just to drink coffee. They're going there to live the bohemian lifestyle. And how about bars? You ever play bars? Yeah, they tend to be loud and filled with drunk people. So we don't necessarily prefer them always. But some of the dive bars that we've played in have been my favorite gigs. Dive bars are the best. Yeah. The best. When I was in college, there was a dive bar that all the students went to. And and keep in mind, this was in Quebec, where the drinking age is 18. So pretty much all the students were legal to go drink. And those that weren't, uh, well, I think often ended up going there anyway. Um, <laughs> but at this bar, and it was like the local student bar, um, they had something called Acoustic Tuesdays. And you wouldn't necessarily think acoustic music, you, you, you think acoustic music, it's going to be kind of quiet and staid, chill. Oh no. Acoustic Tuesdays were rowdy as hell. <gasps> acoustic Tuesdays were like people getting wasted and singing Wagon Wheel. Wait, um, this sounds exactly like the Tuesdays that we had at our, it wasn't a dive bar, but one of our college bars called Deer Park. Should we talk about it? <laughs> Please do. It, it's just like you were saying. There, there's a guy who, who plays high-energy acoustic covers, and it, people go for it. People His love name it. is Hefe. He yeah. is beloved in Throughout this the college town. I like him already. <laughs> yes. Um, yes, it is a wild time. Like you said, everyone's smashed. It's great. Very acoustic. <laughs> These Acoustic Tuesdays, it was not just one guy. It was... It was like an open mic thing, oh. but but there were yeah, which is crazy. You think open mic acoustic? It's going to be chill. It's going to be laid back. It so wasn't. It was, but you had regulars. You had, you know, you had like a core, five or six or seven 
either individuals or small groups that would always play every acoustic Tuesday. And like everybody went. It was like, dude, it's Tuesday. You go to acoustic, you go to acoustic, let's go to acoustic. Everyone <laughs> would go to acoustic. And man, people were so hammered and they were just screaming along to like whatever indie hit was popular that summer or that year. And uh, and it was great. Awesome. Lots of fun. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like something we should resurrect. I yeah. mean, that, that's like the ideal open mic is people singing along and drunk. <laughs> We've played several outdoor gigs recently in the past month or so of the lockdowns being less restrictive. Um, we've been able to play some outdoor gigs. And it's just amazing to see how responsive people are to hearing live music again. Um, it, it feels great to be out in the real world and great to see people and they are all into it. Do you feel like there's a lot of pent up demand and people are like extra stoked to be hearing live music, like more so than they would be if the pandemic hadn't happened? Definitely. Yes. Yeah. Um, I think both for audience, audience, audience members and for musicians, uh, it's easy to sort of get used to music like live music being a thing everywhere uh and maybe before the pandemic i might venture to say that we are a little oversaturated <laughs> with live music um but now it it's like everyone is sort of seeing it with clear eyes um we are not taking it for granted at all and yeah like michael said the people that are listening are like really happy to be hearing live music and to be out with humans and it's a good feeling. <laughs> yeah. So tell me about your recent gigs. Um, this past weekend, or I guess it was a little, the weekend before last, uh, we were able to be a part of a three-day outdoor music festival at a local brewery. And it was called Dewgrass because the brewery is called Dew Point Brewing. Um, so it was lots of like country and folky bands. So. It was cool that they called it dewgrass. Any, yeah. any bluegrass? None that we saw on our day of the festival, but I think there was some on the first couple of days. Yeah. But I think everything was sort of like bluegrass adjacent. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but the brewery was cool because they have like circles spray painted on the, the grass and you had to be like with your bubble of people. You had mm -hmm. to have a mask on unless you were inside of your little bubble and... I, I liked it a lot. Yeah, and they, they've got a huge space, so they're pretty perfectly set up for live music. Yeah. We've also been playing a couple outdoor gigs at some state parks around us. and Oh, that's great. Yeah. A little neighborhood outdoor show. Yep. Yeah, so we're, we're sort of just trying to, you know, savor the last of the warm days because I think once... Once the warmth goes away, we're probably going to hibernate for a couple of months um, just because we feel safer playing outside versus inside. So, Yeah, until there's a vaccine, I think that's what it has to be. Yeah, but we'll be writing a lot this winter. So <laughs> That's a great time for it. Outdoors is definitely uh, safer than indoors. And I can tell you here in Canada where it's starting to get cooler, the cases are going up and we're looking toward a... Toward a winter. I won't say what kind of winter, because who knows, but we're looking toward a winter. A dark winter of the soul. Uh, yes. Mm. Yeah, hopefully people will kind of prepare themselves mentally and whatever other way. <laughs> Spiritually. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it is what it is. Hopefully we get a vaccine. A real one that works. That would be good. So... Before I let you guys go, and thank you so much for joining me, yeah. um, do you have anything to plug? Do you have any upcoming live streams or live gigs or anything that that isn't going to come and go between now and when I release this in a couple of weeks? So like I was saying, uh, we are probably going to hibernate for the winter, which means lots of live streams. Um so those can be found on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash honeybadgerfolk. Uh, anything else, Michael? I think that's the only thing we have to plug. Yeah, all of our social media, our handle is at honeybadgerfolk. Our website is honeybadgerfolk.com. Yes. And so we are like writing currently mm -hmm. and sort of looking towards 
eventually releasing some new music. So yeah, you should definitely follow us on the socials and stay up to date with our exciting new developments. <laughs> yeah. And let me know when you have something new out. I would be more than happy to have you guys back on the show. Oh, that'd be awesome. Cool. For promotional purposes <laughs> and conversational purposes. That'd be great. Cool. <laughs> Not a problem. Guys, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been a blast. Yeah. And uh, folks, check them out. They're on Spotify. Are you on Apple Music? Yep. Mm-hmm. They're on Spotify. They're on Apple Music Bandcamp. Yes. Everywhere, I think. SoundCloud. <laughs> Everywhere. <Yes. laughs> yeah. Well, we've got some weird stuff on SoundCloud, but... <laughs> YouTube. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Okay, great. Check them out. Google them. It's not hard. Come on, folks. <laughs> Just figure it out. It's the 21st century. You got to be able to figure out how to find things. The downside of our band name being a popular animal is that Google doesn't always work, but if you Google the Honey Badgers Delaware, you'll find us. <laughs> Google Honey Badgers Delaware or Honey Badger Folk. Yeah. Just figure it out, people. (laughs) Media literacy of the 21st century. Thank you so much to Michael and Aaron for being on the show, guys. Have a wonderful week to all my beautiful listeners. Thanks for having us. And that's our show for the week, folks. I hope you enjoyed every last moment of it. I know I did. A big thank you to the Honey Badgers for appearing on this show playing music, and generally being really nice folks. A big thank you to Alex McNeil, my producer. Another big thank you to Graham Bell, my graphic designer. This episode was recorded and edited by yours truly in my studio at home. Enjoy your week, folks. I hope the weather will be grand, and I hope your kids are doing just okay. (laughs) All right. Take it easy, folks. All right. I got to get out of here now. All right. How do you stop this recording? Um, Okay. Here.